Hello, everybody. Welcome to So Help Me Pod, a podcast of the theologies and public policy of the American presidency. My name is Rob Lee. I am a doctoral candidate at the Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, California, though I live in North Carolina. My co-host is Scott Lee. Scott Lee is my younger brother. He lives in Houston. He has his master's degree in operatic performance, which makes him weirdly unqualified to talk about the presidents of the United States. So I'm helping to help him to gain some knowledge about who our presidents were and what they espoused. There are moments in studying history that are rather peculiar. Two descendants of the Southern aristocracy that President Grant unraveled as commanding general of the Federal Army during the American Civil War is worthy of note. Um, Scott and I are both collateral descendants of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Um, it is also worthy of note that President Grant's ascension to the presidency in March of 1869 was almost an afterthought to an already sterling career. So what about what do we know about President Grant? Let's get into it. He was a graduate of West Point and veteran of the Mexican-American War. Um, President Grant's presidency, the, the presidency, looking specifically at his presidency, the time he served in office, uh, is viewed as a mixed bag. There were advancements in public policy, but many of the accomplishments were riddled with scandals that would lead to a need for careful reform. These reforms were met with considerable barriers put in place by both Republicans of his own party and Democrats of the opposing party. Grant sought rather tacitly to end the corruption in the ranks of the federal government. Uh, this rather apathetic kind of laissez-faire approach to end corruption um, led to critique from all sides. As Grant entered the post-presidency in 1877, he did so as a happy man, but also as a pauper. His and Harry Truman's plight in the post-presidency would lead to the passage of the former President's Act that was passed in 1958 and offered several lifetime benefits to holders of the office, including a pension. Grant would attempt a failed run for the Republican nomination for president in the year 1880, which would have been a third run for him for president. Uh, he was supported by a faction of the Republicans that sought to continue the spoil system of patronage prevalent during his administration. He would lose out in that election, uh, in that nomination election, to the eventual winner of the election that year, the 20th president of the United States, who we will talk about in our next podcast, James A. Garfield. President Grant would hold resentment against the 20th president, James A. Garfield, until Garfield's assassination in 1881. I would call Grant an avid, maybe even exuberant cigar, cigar smoker. Uh, President Grant would die of throat cancer in 1885 at the age of 63. Grant was hailed for his military and political prowess, though some of him would wane. Some of that popularity would wane with the development of the lost cause, which would subsequently catapult the popularity Confederate General Lee. Nevertheless, 1.5 million people attended pre uh, President Grant's funeral procession in New York City. As his casket was paraded down a seven-mile procession, his body was followed by President Grover Cleveland, uh, former presidents Rutherford B. Hayes and Chester Allen Arthur, the entirety of President Cleveland's cabinet, and finally 
um, by justices. He was uh, he was represented by the Supreme Court. They were there too. He would later be buried in a large mausoleum in the United States, the largest mausoleum in the United States in the Upper West Side of New York City. Since 1913, if you've ever gotten a $50 bill from your grandparents or someone else who, uh, you know, has time on their hands to go to a bank, uh, President Grant has graced the front of the United States $50 bill. And Scott, interestingly enough, the representative where I live in North Carolina from North Carolina's 10th Congressional District, the Honorable Patrick McHenry, who is currently serving as Speaker Pro Tem of the United States House of Representatives, attempted in 2010 to replace President Grant on the $50 note with a portrait of President Ronald Reagan. Uh, this measure did not and has not gained traction since its introduction and subsequent reintroduction in in, uh, in Congresses that followed. Um, and some more recent developments. This is just um, some interesting stuff that we have to see with the passage of the 2023 Defense Authorization Bill by the United States Congress. The legislative chambers elevated the military commander, uh, General Grant, to the rank of General of the Armies of the United States. This title has been held by three people, uh, either while they were alive or posthumously, and that is General Grant, and the other two generals are George Washington and John J. Pershing. Now on to President Grant's faith and public life. President Grant believed fervently as a Methodist in the idea that it was not his uh, responsibility to destroy person and races uh, insofar as one was able. Um, this was most evident in his policy regarding the treatment of native and indigenous populations. Grant was largely seen to be more progressive president in response to the issue of, uh, of native treatment um, as opposed to his predecessors. Uh, president Grant would appoint Eli S. Parker, a Native American of Seneca descent, to serve as commissioner of Indian affairs. Commissioner Parker would be the first Native American to serve in that post. Obviously, appointments do not center the Native experience alone, and thus further conversation would be necessary from the president and others. And though President Grant was considered a relatively progressive president on uh, social issues as a Methodist, he was kind of a progressive even then. It is impossible to divorce a person from her time. his time. It is argued and with good evidence to see that Ulysses S. Grant harbored uh, incredibly uh, um, important uh, policies that would that would lead to anti-Semitic views that played out in his military service and during his presidency. So again, this this idea of a mixed bag, this person being both progressive on one issue while incredibly uh, problematic on another, seems to be playing out for the Grant administration as well. So that's what we've got on President Grant. Scott, what do you have about President Grant? What questions do you have? Hey, hey guys. My first question is, how has Methodism changed since he was first like around it? So Methodism has obviously changed a lot since President Grant was president. Um, you'll see as we're going through the 1880s and into the 1890s, a real sense of American exceptionalism within Methodism. So Methodism has been established religion in the United States since the inception of this country. And all of a sudden, they're realizing, okay, we have something that we want to share with others. So you're going to see what it begins, uh, especially around this time and even into the time when we'll be talking about President McKinley, it is a missionary movement to get the, the word out about who uh, God is and how God works in the world. 
And, and so this this idea of the Methodists as being not only kind of moving westward with with westward expansion, but also to a more international presence of American Methodism um, is really playing out not only in Grant's life, but up to the time of William McKinley, who is the other president, the Methodist president that we will study here in a, in a week or so. So uh, Methodism at this point is becoming more and more um, less grassroots and more prevalent and recognized. I would say so at this point, they've become a really a national denomination. Um, they have gone from being this group of just kind of either you were you were Methodist, but you were also Anglican in the, in the late 1700s uh, and early 1800s to really being a, you are Methodist and this is why. Um, you know, and, and in fact, it could be argued, too. I think this is really interesting about Grant. Grant's one of those people who was Methodist, but he was most likely Methodist, not because he was deeply faithful or deeply convicted of being Methodist, but because his wife was Methodist and his wife went to the Methodist church. And that was where he went to, um, which was became a, a prevailing force for many American presidents is because their wife did it. That's what they did, too, as well. Um, now, that's that's a, obviously there's exceptions to that rule with, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pre President uh, President McKinley was very avidly United Method or uh, not United. He was very avidly Methodist. Uh, you've got other presidents like Jimmy Carter, who was Baptist because he was Baptist, not because of what his wife did, though his wife was also Baptist. You've got, um, just, uh, you know, you've got all these different presidents who are really faithful, but then you've got some who are just like, you know what, my wife's doing it. Like, for instance, Bill Clinton. Um, you know, Bill Clinton, President Clinton, when he was president, uh, he's Baptist, raised Baptist, but he went to Foundry United Methodist Church in D.C. because his wife is very much a United Methodist woman, uh, layperson. And so uh, she was very adamant that that was where they would be attending church. So that gives you an idea of kind of the presidency in terms of marriage and how that worked. My next question is, is this when segregations are still, uh, wow. Is this when congregations are still is this when congregations are still segregated right now, or are they starting to become unsegregated? When exactly does that happen? We see the church move to try to desegregate. So, or is that not until the sixties? So you would see that, that there were efforts, obviously, in some Christian denominations to begin the conversation around desegregation. Some would also make the rather convincing and compelling argument that churches are still segregated today. I mean, Dr. King, even during his time, called church the most Sunday morning, uh, the most segregated hour in our week. And so there is some credence to that. That said, the churches were were, were almost certainly segregated Um even if it was kind of the Jim Crow evolution into this kind of upstairs, downstairs um, kind of church or, or, or separated but equal um, notion that would become prevalent later in the 20th century. Um, but but yeah, there, there was still very much. I mean, we had ended the war of uh, that the, the, the ended slavery, but it's certainly uh, Jim Crow was alive and well. Last question is how tall Grant was. So Ulysses S. Grant uh, was five foot eight inches tall, um, which actually puts him a little shorter than most of our presidents. Our tallest president was uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was six foot four inches. 
And right behind him, and this is there's a little bit of debate of whether they're tied or not, but Lyndon Johnson, who served after President Kennedy was assassinated, was six foot three and a half inches. So I think they're they're really playing a game there. But really, I mean, you get down to who um President Ulysses S. Grant was. And according to my research, when you presented this question to me, he's actually tied with uh three other guys to be the 36th tallest uh president. And that's kind of interesting because you think these men would be really, you know, our, our our shortest president was James Madison, who was five foot four inches. Um, so, again, this is really kind of a, a scale. Most of them were much taller, though. Um, our more recent presidents have been very tall as well. Um, so, again, that just plays out in different ways for different people, whatever that means for you. Yeah, I could take them. All right. That's all. At the onset of this podcast, I spoke of the kind of weirdness of this recording. President Grant's legacy has been kind of colored for both of us for a long time as a Southerner. And despite protestations to the lost cause and its legacy, it is impossible to resist the urge to kind of villainize Grant based on the upbringings that many of us had uh, and his tactics in the American Civil War. That said, he, he was enacting a military policy. He was following orders that would bring rebellious states back into the Union so that it might long endure. Even more, it is imperative to remember that the general should be known for more than his four years of service as general of the United States Army. Um, but before and after his time in the Civil War are worthy of study and note. The man was interesting. Um, he was problematic, but he was interesting, as many of the men that we have studied so far have been. In so doing, the respect for Ulysses S. Grant will grow and multiply with each new realization about the man. So what's up next? What are we talking about on our next episode of So Help Me Pod? When I first conceived of this project, our, our nation's 20th president did not come to mind when I made my initial list. In fact, in the annals of history, he is but a blip in terms of government. Uh, president James A. Garfield served for 120 days before becoming mortally wounded by an assassin's bullet. Yet his faith and witness that I read about in a book this year had such an impact on our nation and on me in ways that we're they're really unique and remarkable. He needs to be studied. So next week on So Help Me Pod, we will talk about President James A. Garfield. And I'm also going to juggle, so come for that. You've been listening to So Help Me Pod, a podcast of Beloved Journal in conjunction with Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, California. The podcast is offered in partial completion of the Doctor of Ministry degree for the Reverend Robert W. Lee. All opinions and insights offered are solely owned by that of those who offered them and do not reflect the views of stakeholders in the project. There have been 45 men and 46 presidential administrations, all of them unique. Some of them have been more interesting than others, some of them more terrifying than others. All have been part of the grand expression of democracy on the North American continent and part of the wider conversation of self-governance in the world. These men have failed profoundly, and we have failed profoundly in following their leadership along with our own sometimes antiquated and backwards ways of viewing and acting in the world. That said, this form of leadership is unlike few other, and the greatest gift we have has been given in the ways in which the American experiment continues to prosper despite our terrible misgivings. We are better off because of these men, and we are forever in their debt. For more information, 
visit www.roblee4.com slash presidents.